This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Staging has become an essential tool of real estate. Whether it's an old school property that hasn't been on the market for decades or a brand new glass tower, staging helps bring life to brooms and lets potential buyers visualize how they might live in the spaces. But is staging different from designing? If there's no particular client involved, how does a designer approach the task? Is it a way to launch a design career, a potentially lucrative sideline, or a different discipline altogether? Must it be generic? Or is staging an opportunity for a designer to showcase his or her work to potential clients? Today, I have with me three talented people who know the ins and outs of staging. First up is Philadelphia-based designer Lauren White, the founder of L&W Interior Concepts, who launched her career with staging. She's known for her contemporary spaces full of luxury touches that are enriched with unexpected finishings and accessories. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad you're here. I'm also pleased to have with us Alessandra Santopietro, the senior designer of the New York firm Santopietro Interiors, which she runs with her mother, Meryl, and sister, Joy. The firm's projects, whether city apartments or beach houses, feature bold and clean line rooms, often with strong graphic appeal. Their most recent staging project was the Four Seasons Residences in New York City. Hello, Alessandra. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. Finally, to provide an inside view of the opposite side of the transaction is Jason Saft, a real estate salesperson who heads his own team at Compass in New York City. Jason knows the power of staging, has a whole online lookbook of impressive before and after photos of projects he has sold, and is here to tell us how staging adds what he calls the wow factor and ensures quick and lucrative sales. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. So, Lauren, I'd love to start with you because you had told me that you actually got your career in design started by doing staging. Yes. And I'd love to know how that happened. Well, I was working at Penn Medicine and I just wanted to stop. And this is when Instagram started. And one of the staging company was, I thought, affiliated with a store that I used to go and just you know, dream about if I had a client, I would do this. So when they had an internship, I was like, oh, this is my chance. And I didn't have a portfolio on anything, but I was just so excited at at the chance I've sold myself and they were like, okay, let's go. But it was a staging company and I didn't know what a staging company was. I just knew I had a chance to decorate. So once I started, I'm like, oh, okay, this is about selling a dream. So I was all for it. And I I learned a lot from staging. And what kind of projects did you work on? Like small apartments? So we did a lot. So Philadelphia is having this like real estate boom going on. So it's a lot of development and a lot of people are doing, we're doing where we were in a part of Philadelphia that's called Fishtown, smaller condos. So we had like Fishtown on lock. But the people who were building these condos, I'm like, where did they get these plans from? They couldn't have used the architect. (laughs) I've seen some of those floor plans. Right, right. So it was smaller apartments, smaller condos. So you really had to be creative when you staged. And I think, you know, I know that when we staged it, it gave the potential buyer 
like, oh, okay, a queen size bed could fit into this room. Right. So I started in smaller apartments. Right. Now, Alessandra, I wanted to get a sense from you how your firm got into doing this, because I think you did interior design first. It was staging as a sideline that came about. Did developers approach you? How did it work? Yes, exactly. So my mom started business almost 30 years ago, and we actually were mainly focusing on private residential clients. And when she decided to build the business in New York City over 10 years ago, she started to build relationships with in-house real estate brokers because many of the new development properties in New York have permanent teams there. And so she built those relationships and through that then became interested in staging and met developers and and it all grew from there. Gotcha. Now, Jason, obviously you're a big proponent of staging and it's helped you with your sales enormously. But how do you decide when a project needs staging or do you consider they all do to some extent? How does that work? To some extent, all of them do, but it really depends on what is the result that you're looking for. Sometimes you may have a beautifully presented apartment, brand new construction, and you may feel like you're able to go out to market. But if you're looking to exceed expectations and really just push the ROI as high as possible, you have to set the environment. You have to set it properly. And again, because it's not just the physical space that you're preparing, but that's also your marketing arsenal people-based lead generation, they're looking, they're going towards things that look better than something that's left empty. Obviously, some people choose to do virtual, but you can often see the hallmarks and trades of virtual staging. It starts to look fake. It starts to look generic. After a while, 10 different apartments in 10 different buildings, if they all have the same furniture, the consumer feels like something is sort of not necessarily correct. Right. And it was interesting what Lauren was saying about, oh, yes, I now can see that a queen-size bed would fit into this bedroom. I think that most people, despite all the efforts of designers and shelter magazines where I worked for years to educate people, I think a lot of buyers, especially when you're putting down a lot of money on an apartment or a townhouse or whatever it might be, a house, they can't visualize. And I think that staging is crucial to that because even, you know, spaces always look smaller with no furniture in them. And I think people have no sense of scale. So I think that the staging has a great effect. But what you were mentioning about the virtual staging with things looking alike, is that also a problem in terms of actual 3D staging? Because I think Many of the things that I've looked at online, because, again, real estate is, again, an online thing, starting with Instagram and all that, is people look online. So I guess my question is, is there a preferred style? Is there something you look for when you want to stage a house? Like, Jason, how do you regard it? How much individuality can there be in terms of a stager's approach? I think there's a massive array of sort of individuality, but you have to be very educated in how you're doing it. So while I've been a broker for almost 20 years, my sort of marketing platform was staged to sell home and I was going in and fixing up the properties. And then that led to the growth and creation of Stage to sell home becoming its own separate company. And so when you're working in the field for that long, you very much understand you're within staging because sometimes you're not designing for the actual client, like interior design. There's no real engagement process. You're not talking about their needs, their emotions. You're looking at this from strictly a sort of a business perspective. I'm designing essentially by demographics. So I'm looking at building type. I'm looking at closed comps. I'm looking at the sale price. 
I'm thinking about who is the buyer and sort of what is within their design palette. Like what are the things that they aspire to? And that's what I'm creating. And so while I may bring certain pieces to a townhouse in Carnegie Hill, to Bed-Stuy, the sort of concept overarching themes are very different. But I always love to work with pieces that can translate you know, price points, neighborhoods, styles, time periods. And I think that's where the stager really becomes a designer. And that's where you really learn your hallmark and your trade is how to take things that should maybe not make sense somewhere, but really sort of connect and make the space look and feel original. Right. Alessandra, I've heard it said that a designer creates for one person and a stager has to design for everyone. So do you approach them differently when you're doing that? I mean, I don't know if you think about demographics per se when you're staging an apartment, but how do you think about it differently? Yeah, so it's very similar to what Jason was saying. We tend to only work with developers for staging projects. So they come to us with the real estate marketing team with an ideal buyer in mind. So the color palettes tend to be more neutral overall, but we really like to take custom pieces. And this, again, is kind of what Jason was saying about that design really influences it because we take what really works for our private clients and bring that in to these projects to make them more personal because we actually have developers purchase everything from us from the beginning. So everything's new for each condo. Right. So essentially you bring in very different accessories and smaller pieces on against a more neutral background. Is that to individualize right, right. The, the spaces? Yeah, it depends on, you know, again, each project is different, but usually we can be more playful in certain children's bedrooms or play areas, but yes, in artwork, in accessories, and then the general area of the furnishings tend to be more grays, neutrals, creams, but we like to play a lot more with texture in those areas to bring in more interest. Throw in a colorful throw pillow, right? I mean, that's what designers always say, you know, at home too. Now, Lauren, you started the staging and it branched out. Were your first clients people that like bought places that you had staged and then asked you to come back? Because I understand that that happens a fair amount. Right. So my first design client was somebody who followed me on Instagram and saw a staging project. So they saw the staging at the time. Philadelphia, like I said, is a budding market in real estate. Nobody was too familiar with staging, especially on the levels of Alessandra and Jason. So when they saw it, they just thought, you know, I was an interior decorator. So that's how I got a lot of my first clients in design. So social media, Instagram really was a crucial tool. It wasn't necessarily that people were buying that apartment, but they saw it on Instagram. Right. So that so that's how I was able to branch off from. Uh, so I, I tell people I built my business off of Instagram because when I would do staging, I would just take like little progress shots, you know, a little picture of a little vignette that I was doing. And people were like, oh, Lauren was really out here, you know, decorating. And I would tell them, no, I'm staging as the company will allow me to have bigger projects. People could see the range that I had. And that is how I was able to break off into interior design, especially seeing the mistakes uh, that a lot of the developers and builders did when I was going into their properties to stage. I'm like, I wouldn't have did this. I would have did that, you know, so they could, it, it could make more sense in the space. So, yeah, I was able to build my business off of social media. Great. 
So I want to get a sense of how staging a room or an apartment is different from designing on a practical level. Alessandra, when you're doing a, a staging project, do you have, uh, do you use a prop house? Do you have furniture pieces that you use repeatedly? Do you have your own inventory of items that you use repeatedly? I assume once the apartment that you've staged is sold, you have to move the stuff out. Is that not correct? So no, actually we work very differently. We work with the developers purchasing everything from the beginning. And okay, so you get a budget from the developer. Exactly. It's a clearly defined budget, clearly defined time frame. Usually things happen very fast compared to our other residential clients. And it could be six to eight weeks. We need everything in stock. Right. It's not custom, clearly. Yeah. I mean, we do work with having the residential side of the business. We have a custom workroom that we work with and we can turn things around pretty quickly, but- You can limit, pressure them. Right, right. We But we limit that to, to really draperies and custom beds because we like to make fully surround built-in custom upholstered beds. And that allows us to get things a little bit smaller, which tend to work in a lot of these spaces. And then of course the bedding too, which makes- the broker's life a lot easier because it's tailored coverlets and there's no need to press anything. Everything is ready to be seen whenever they're ready to show it. So that allows us to hand everything over to the developer and they can either sell it as a turnkey residence, which they've done, or they can repurpose it to another unit in the building. And have you ever had a client come to you from an apartment that you would stage to say, oh, I love that model apartment. Would you mind? Yes. Yeah. We actually just got a client a few months ago that we're working on a project now. Oh, yeah, fantastic. We've, we've had a lot of success with it. Okay. So it's definitely can be worth learning oh, to yes. do the staging and making the contacts. And Lauren, you would agree with that. When I was staging, I would use furniture over again. So Yeah, you did have, because I think most stagers do do that. Yeah. So I would use it over, but I did have the option if it was new furniture, I would have a product list if they wanted to buy certain things they would be able to buy certain things. I've seen that happen before. Stasia that I know of, I've seen apartments. It's amazing what you can do with just sort of ready-made West Elm even level CB2, that level of thing. But if it's spatially done in a clever way and whatever, it really can transform a space. So Jason, I want to ask you, how do you determine what the budget is for a staging? And it obviously depends if it's a multi-million dollar new tower as opposed to, say, an old townhouse that people lived in for 50 years. But how do you decide what's going to work and how do you pick the designers? So there's essentially a few key elements as to how we're determining the budget. And we're sort of looking at overall size, inventory, and then the targeted list price. So there's a difference in terms of materials for a $6 million townhouse versus a $2 million townhouse. And that's how we're sort of aligning the budget. And again, we've been doing it so long that it's pretty much we can walk the space quickly, go off of a floor plan, old sales history, and work from there. And to sort of go back onto your other question, though, about in terms of inventory and how it's done. So like I own all of my own furniture and accessories, which allows us to go in and do a house within two days. Right. And that's you need a, a pair of lamps, you got a pair of lamps. Right. Yeah. I owned all my inventory as well. So I could tailor it to, like Jason was saying, to whoever was hiring me for the particular project. For instance, I did a 30 unit. Well, I didn't stage the entire unit, but it was 30 units. It was a new build and it was in a part of Philadelphia that had a lot of 
college students. So I'm like, okay, it should be fun, you know, chic. So I put a pink velvet sofa in there and the whole unit sold out and we broke a record with that company. So, you know, it's just knowing who the potential buyer is. I would like go into the psyche of who would come in here? What would they like to see? And, you know, just selling them a, a dream of how they could live. And that usually works wonders. So in a sense, you have a fictional client in mind. Yes. Right. You create that narrative. And Jason, is that all you have in mind as well? Do you talk to developers and say, well, I see this as like a couple in their 50s who are world travelers? Or- I create a whole story, like their whole, their status, their emotional well-being, what they've been through, where they're coming from. Yeah, we're, we're like writing a book and getting very into who these people are and where they came from. And it's interesting because we oftentimes with certain properties, we'll get sort of so specific in a way. So recently I did a townhouse in the West Village that had been on the market several times over the years and had failed to transact. And when you sort of analyze the house, the price point, the location, and the bedrooms, there was one room that was so large, it could be two rooms. The third bedroom happened to face 14th Street. There's a main thoroughfare in New York, and I'm a parent. And it's a very odd thing to think of a child's bedroom on the ground floor of 14th Street with a second egress directly onto the street. So there was, you know, an industrial door. And so my idea was to showcase this three-bedroom house where one bedroom sort of a liability for a parent as a four-bedroom house. So I took the larger room and I made twin sort of girls' room. And basically created the mirror image on each side because the room was so big. So a parent could see two kids living there. And the truth is there's a lot of twins in New York City, right? There's a lot of births that are happening due, you know, thanks to modern medicine. So there's this overwhelming amount of twins. And the couple who bought the house has twin girls. That is knowing demographics, I have to say. I had never realized how many twins there are in New York City. But I mean, you you really think about it. And yes, there's a lot of people who could afford the help to have children. And that is one of the results is having twins. And it was really, it was one of those moments, like when I found that out, it sort of crystallizes this attention to detail and really thinking about who is the end buyer of this house. And while trying to be so specific, also keeping it sort of general so that you're not ruling anyone else out. And I think that's one of the dangers of with staging and and almost being sort of too creative. You may alienate potential buyers. And that's something I find myself like I, I constantly will come back into a room and sit and look at it and think like, am I alienating anyone? Am I capturing everyone? And one of the ways in which I do that is for most projects, if it's a larger building, I'll sit in the lobby in the morning and I'll sit in the lobby at around six o'clock. And I watch who comes in and out and I'll talk with the other brokers to see who has been coming to the other comps, just to make sure I get it right, that I know exactly who's been purchasing recent apartments and who lives in the building. Very clever. Hi, everybody. I'm Anna Brockway, the co-founder and president of Cherish. Are you a designer struggling with really long lead times from your suppliers and increasingly impatient clients? In this need-it-now world, Cherish is more important than ever. Our vintage, antique, and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Full disclosure, my husband also sells real estate. And he told me that 
when he looks at an apartment, he tries to think of it in terms of the woman, because he says it's the woman who comes in, whether it's the wife, the mother, single woman. It's not about the space being girly. He says it's really much about if there's children, are the children safe? What's the closet situation? Is there laundry room in there or is it on the floor? All those kind of practical things. And he tries to bring, is that how you, Alessandra, when you're designing these new towers or the new developments, which, as Lauren said, often have weird layouts, and I, I know that's true. Do you see yourself as like potential client or your mother as a potential client? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I think it obviously, like Lauren was saying, the layouts and the floor plans, I think that's why they need the staging because it can be really hard for the client to understand what it's going to be like to live there. But of course, I mean, living in the city for so many years, you see yourself in, you know, one bedroom apartment and then the neighborhood getting so used to who lives in those neighborhoods and picking up, like Jason was saying, you know, who's walking in and out and who's seeing the other units that you definitely think of those details and how to make it more personal and how they're going to walk through the space and see themselves there. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to preclude a bachelor, you know, right. coming in. Right. And that's, I mean, that's it, the trick, I think. And that's where I think we just, we try to go a little bit more neutral with the colors so it can still appeal to anyone and it won't offend anyone. Yeah, that's where we like to have that fun with the patterns and bring it in that way where it can be a little bit more feminine. Yeah. Okay, now I have a question, Lauren and Alessandra. I'd love you to weigh in on this. And of course you can as well, Jason. But here's my question, which I've never understood. Why do people wait until they're going to sell their house or apartment before they fix it up? Why don't they fix it up while they're living in it? I've never understood this. Alessandra, what is that? Well, we typically don't work with homeowners that are trying to sell their place. So it's a little different for us. But Right. But I'm sure you've encountered this. Right. And because even clients will come to us that they've lived in the house for however many years and they haven't done anything. I personally don't understand it because I like to move in and get it ready and and get it done and live there. You know how I want to be able to enjoy the space. So I'm not really sure. I think it's, you know, obviously there's some procrastinating happening. Maybe they haven't found the right designer or are waiting to have a little bit more money to invest in their property. I mean, that's totally understandable and can take time. So we also look at projects as sometimes you need to do things in different stages. Right, which is true. It should evolve. But Lauren, so how do you turn somebody from hiring a stager when they're selling to hiring a designer when they're buying? Well. When I first started in staging, we used to do a lot of, they work with anyone, developers, investors, and the private sector. And some of the houses, I just would go in there and just like, what are we supposed to do with this? I would just take executive decisions. Just just take all the curtains down. It's so much dust on the curtains. You know, it's just so, move this rug out the way. And I think if you give people a little push and you're the professional, they're thankful at the end. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. I'm like, yeah, what do you expect us to do? But when I started my own staging part of my design business, I didn't have that. Thank goodness. I did work with a lot of investors and I worked with a lot of developers or you right. know, real estate agents. Yeah, they don't or, have any sentimental attachment to anything. Right. So it's just like, you know, I'll come in, they would hire me to design the space and then I would get the staging job too. As I'm making my selections, as I'm picking paint colors, I already have in mind how I'm going to stage the house, what it's going to look like, what the 
total end result is going to be. And this is how I gain relationships with a lot of developers because, I mean, they're like, okay, Lauren, we're going to get you to create the floor plan, pick everything, and then you'll get the staging job. And then we're going to make the space make sense so you're not having 50 bathrooms in a 900-square-foot house. Right, right. Because the earlier the designer is involved, I would think the better for everybody. The better for everybody. And the end result is always just a home run. Always a home run. Right. So, Michael, I think what's important, though, in, in the question that you asked about, like, why do they wait? Some of it's just procrastination and complacency. But I think one thing that I've learned and seen over the years To a lot of people, the things that we're talking about to fix up, to increase the value of their home, to appeal to the widest audience, that may not appeal to them. And that may not be in their... Yeah, some people have very personal style, and it can be a great style, but it's not a marketable style. style. Or they, for lack of better phrasing, have no style. And that's okay. Not not everyone is sitting on Cherish at like one o'clock in the morning, no, you know, looking right. for like vintage throw pillows and like a Malachite pedestal while others of us, like that's our yoga. And that's where the professional comes in. And I think that's one of the most important things. And you ask like, why do some people wait to fix it up? A lot of people don't think about this. A lot of people don't realize it. But there are times where you walk in and you're seeing like kitchen cabinets held together with duct tape, you know, and you're thinking like, (laughs) oh my God, like how do you, you've lived here for 20 years, couldn't you fix that? But I think on a large scale, a lot of people just, they don't realize that they could update, that they should update, or it's just not important to them. Right. Now, has it ever happened that somebody decides to sell their home, you bring in the stager, They fix it up. The house looks so great that then people say, you know what? This is great. I don't want to move now. Has that ever happened? No. Um, Fortunately for you. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you. So the projects that we do, like the white box projects, there's the development projects. But I do often a lot of estate work. I work Yeah, I see that on your your lookbook. That's one of my favorites is going into a space that someone has owned for decades, passed away, and is now owned by heirs of an estate. And it's fallen by the wayside. And they you know, tend to be these very grand spaces, but have hospital beds and have just deteriorated. And I like to make them much more contemporary and interesting. So one of the questions before diving into a project like that is I'll sit down with the seller, whether it's an estate or something else. And I ask them, like, are you ready to go full throttle? You're going to have a team of people like this is going to be sort of like one of those HGTV shows and Marie Kondo and like the ultimate wedding crash diet all in one. Because when I'm working in an occupied space, so these people are ready to sell. What often happens is the conversation is like, now I want to employ these tactics in my next home. Now I want to do this in my next. But thankfully, you know, that's one of the reasons why you always ask these questions. Like, where are you going? Are you prepared for this? So that you don't end up in a situation where you're just sort of doing this and then they realize this isn't what I need to do. Right. Now, here's a question I know many of our listeners will want to know from all of you. Basically, if they're a designer, how do they get into the staging market? Is it worthwhile for them to do it? And Jason, in particular for you, how do you find the designers that you use as stagers? So I design all of the projects myself. Those are mine. I I don't work with- But I know there's a lot of other brokers that don't. Do you have your skills? I will say that I have a lot of design friends. And to them, they sort of look down upon staging. I think for a lot of people, it's almost like fast fashion. 
they like the slower process. They like the custom things. There's a difference in sort of like- nice to spend other people's money. Yes. (laughs) So I think a lot of designers sort of shy away from it. I've often referred in other markets where I'm connected to people through Compass to designers and none of them typically want to take on the job because again, they're also, their brain and their business is set for a four to 12 month period. Whereas we're talking again, often two to five days. Um, But I think for a designer who's looking to get into designing someone young, this is such a great way to really just like cut your teeth and learn the trade and learn how to read things, learn how to process, learn a skill set. And because you're getting to move so quickly and you're getting to move through so many different projects and dwelling types, I think you have much more of an ability to learn so much faster than if you're a designer's assistant, you're maybe working on two projects over the course of a year, and it's a much more slower process. So it's a great training ground. I totally agree. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to ask you, Lauren, because you learned a lot. I learned a lot from staging. So when I started staging, I understood, you know, how to, I mean, just things to know, how to pack a truck, what should go on first, what should go on last. Oh, interesting. Yeah, how to get your accessories in a bin, you know, how to label a bin. And depending on what level the designer is on, if they want to start their own firm, you're not going to go in designing a whole house. You might have a room. You might start off just, you know, designing or decorating a room. So that's how I started. One room at a time. And then I would get two rooms and then it progressed into bigger projects. But with the staging, it taught me how to move, how to organize how to, you know, have all my ducks lined in. So when I'm going into people's houses, even though it might be one room, it's very professional. I'm coming in looking very professional. And it gave them confidence that they pick a good person. Right, right. Now, Alessandro, you're basically doing model apartments almost for high-end developers. Has it given you insights into the luxury market and how that changes and what high-end buyers are looking for or how they want to live? Is that something that's helped you in your, in your client work as well? Yeah, I would definitely say that one influences the other. And and like they were speaking to, if you can do the design work, the decorating, you're just doing it on a much shorter time frame, And it's helping us see that full vision and really put everything together. Because for the private clients, we're not, sometimes it happens, but we're not typically buying their dinnerware and, and their fine china. But in these model residences, we could be placing some of those objects out. So thinking about all of those details makes you look at it in a much different way. But then in return, it helps with the clients that we work on these larger projects with that are outside the city. I mean, I'm more familiar with the developer work in cities, so I can speak to that work in terms of staging, whereas our projects outside of the city are a private residential. But I also think, and again, this gets back to, Lauren, what you were saying about Instagram, All of these projects are put out there into the world. And I think they have an influence on how people who aren't necessarily even buying these apartments or looking at these apartments or houses, how they really think about ways they want to live. So in a way, staging can be as influential as, say, a story in Architectural Digest or El Decor, because I think a lot of people do look to that. And I guess the trick for you guys, as designed all three of you, is to make it broad enough to appeal to a lot of people, but not so generic as to look like every other project that's on the market and that's being sold. And that, I think, has got to be very 
difficult. And I'd love to get a sense from you guys about where do you get your inspiration from? What do you look at? How far can you go? Do you try to push the envelope a little in terms of your design? So why don't we start with you, Lauren? I don't stage anymore, but when I was staging, I liked it. It was, it's just hard to manage booth for me. Right. So I just, I chose a side. But when I was staging, I did love it. It kept me sharp. And certain things I could just do that I normally wouldn't do in someone's house. Like Alexandra said, I could get stemware and I could set a tape. I, I normally wouldn't do that in a person's house, but I would do it and I would put leaves as placemats. You know, you can really like get creative with the staging aspect. But like Jason, my model was designed to sell. So I would try to get a little bit more specific. Like I said, I would use the pink sofa with brown, pinks and browns. Most stagers wouldn't do things like that, or I would use bolder prints. But I knew that it would give that wow factor. So, you know, it, it depends on the season, what was trending. I would do a little bit more trendier things with my staging because I could as opposed to someone's house. Like I like to use classic timeless design. So whatever was trending was really my inspiration and what the season was also. Right. Because that's interesting because there actually is a season for these rooms as opposed to your home, which you're going to have year round. Right. You want to get that place on the market and off the market within three months, I would think. Is that true, Jason? Yes, uh, often before then, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> right. It's interesting because obviously the material choices in the winter are very different than they are in spring, summer. Again, without being so specific, but I do try and the bedding changes, the color palette changes, the florals change, and we do try and create that sort of warmth and coziness. And a lot of my business comes from the stage to sell home Instagram. So, as opposed to just saying here's a property for sale, we talk about the influence. We talk about the design. We talk about the materials. We give tips and explain to people because they don't know, like in the way that you change your clothes seasonally, you should also be changing the things like your soft goods and your bedding and all of those things to make your house feel more appropriate, to feel warmer when you go to bed. Like those, again, are things that don't always process to people. But to answer your question also about in terms of you know sourcing and inspiration, one of the things that I was found as I was growing Sage Cell Home is from the feedback there's the majority of staging, you know, you have this like upper tier and then you have the sort of boutique firms. And then you have what I think most people know of as staging, which is essentially where someone, a stager, will rent furniture from an institutional lender like Cord or Churchill, charge a design fee, and they basically just put the package together. Aside from speed, which of course now is more valuable than ever because I think with all the supply chain problems of design world and things that used to take six to eight weeks now can take 16 or 20 weeks. Is there a lesson that you have learned from your staging projects, your model apartments that you try to bring to your own client projects as well? I would say that it really has helped me to learn how to push my clients in certain areas and even developers as well, where we see something that we feel, yes, we need to stay sort of general, you know, in speaking about who the buyer is. But for example, in that, in the 30 Park Place, which is the Four Seasons building that you mentioned, we obviously wanted to stay in line with what that brand represents. I mean, that's a really specific brand and having housing in the city. It's going to speak to a specific buyer. And we actually found beautiful vintage 
Kagan-esque sofa. And the developer was very apprehensive about going forward with it because of the curves, because it possibly being a little bit more, more feminine. But we, we really saw that as an angle to push. And that one unit has had such success and they've actually been able to obviously get lots of press for their building on it, as well as even using those pieces in another unit um, within the building to sell more units. So I think that's where it's kind of worked on both sides of my design world, really seeing that as, as what I think is really important and to kind of stretch and help the client go beyond that. Fantastic. So it seems as if staging and designing are interrelated, but really rather separate, a lot of overlap. But I think lessons apply to both. And design, we say you have to know your client. But I think what I've learned from this discussion is in terms of staging, that client may be fictional, but you have to know that client as well. And that has to do with price point, demographics, place, how you visualize the person, how they're going to live. And I think that's a fascinating thing. And I can't thank you guys enough for all this insight into an area that now that real estate is booming again, I think is going to become more and more important and being able to entice people, but also standing out and not having generic kind of spaces is a real talent. And unlike what Jason was saying, designers shouldn't look down on that. I think it's actually something they could learn a lot from. So I want to thank you guys. I want to thank my guests, Alessandro Pietro, Lauren White, and Jason Saff. And thank everybody for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.